is 5 p.m. <laughs> I was up at 3 a.m. though, so that can't relate. It's nighttime for me. Hi. Hello, friends. We are back in action. That's what you can call this state. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We have been working our butts off lately. Not in a fun way. Can someone please sponsor us? I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> I'm tired of working three jobs. I would like to just talk to Jamie and make money for it. Yeah. And waking up at 4 a.m. for my one job is hard. We're doing great. Mm -hmm. How are you, Jamie? What's new in your life? I wake up at 4 a.m. and go to bed at 7 p.m. like a grandma. I'm like Paul. I'm like your dad. <laughs> oh, poor guy. Um, what have I been anything happening um i got sunburned really bad the other day you did like bright pink legs i put on sunscreen on my face and then nothing else i've been playing video games a lot mm-hmm you sure have i've been uh, working a lot yeah hanging out with cats have i done anything <laughs> i don't think so i haven't yeah, I don't think so. How, oh, as I say, what have you been up to? But you just said nothing. Yeah. I mean, didn't you do something last week? Like, <laughs> outside? <laughs> I don't know. Clearly nothing significant. It's a really interesting podcast, guys. Yeah. We're, we're very intriguing. We have riveting lives to share. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's too much. You wouldn't understand. Yeah, obviously. But our um, one year is coming up. Oh, a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Next episode, one year anniversary. Thanks for being with us. Yeah, we've got a little special planned. We're excited about it. Surprise. We we'll hope you like it. But yeah, like Jamie said, thanks for being a part of the journey for the last year. It's yeah. crazy that we're just about at a thousand plays. Mm -hmm. I, I manifested we'll, we'll beat over a thousand. I can guarantee it. Yeah. We're at like 950 now. Whew. Mm-hmm. If we include YouTube, YouTube, Apple, Spotify, what was it on Podbean? I don't know. I don't know. We're on it. Wherever else we are that you might be listening to us. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. you. Genuinely, actually, seriously. Thanks. <laughs> but are you are you are you for sure? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> seriously. Thank you. We love you. I'm Kate. And I'm Jane, and this is Creeps and Coffee, a show where we talk about the dark parts of the world around us. Cryptids, conspiracies, things that go bump in the night, and the crimes behind the scariest creatures of all, humans. Join us as we take a look at the stories sure to give you the creeps. Pull up a seat, grab a coffee, and let's have a chat. What are we talking about? This week... Not Gatorade. Not Gatorade. Contrary we, to what I believe. Yeah, yeah. we will get into that close to the end of things. But Jamie <laughs> was sadly mistaken on the climax of this case. But it's fine. Oops. <laughs> uh, so this week, we are talking about oh, just the mess of a person that was Jim Jones. Jimmy. And the horrors of what is now considered the Jonestown Massacre. You may think, hmm, that sounds familiar. Yeah, because yeah. it was a huge deal. It was. It still is. Although I'm surprised not as many people know about it as I thought. Like, I learned about it in my law class in high school, mm -hmm. 
But when we brought it up to both of our moms, they were like, what's that? I think, and I think this will be the case for a lot of listeners too. People know the case, but they don't know the details. Yeah. Like it's become almost like a pop culture yeah, they're just like, reference. oh, yeah, that was like, the one where everybody died. Yeah. It's like, mm-hmm. like when you think about cults, you think about Charles Manson, you think about Jim Jones. But, like, when you talk about details of the cases... Nobody knows. Yeah. So Unless you're a true crime freak like us. That's what we're here to share today. Speaking of, speaking um, of Manson and Jones, you'll also see them portrayed by Evan Peters in American Horror Stories Season 8, Cult. Surprise, surprise. I think that was kind of spoiler, but not really. No. But uh, love Evan Peters. Yeah. Continue, Caitlin. <laughs> Completely unrelated. <laughs> I think shows like that, like you know that I also love American Horror Story. Yeah. But I think shows like that and sort of like these fictional portrayals of people that are as manipulative as Manson, as Jones, as any sort of other cult leader has been Mm -hmm. it's sort of like almost forgiven or like looked past Mm -hmm. if you consider what we see in pop culture they're just these like cool guys in some cases Mm -hmm. but when you look at the reality of the case this shit is disturbing yeah like it was a big problem and it's scary to think that people could just so blindly follow yeah and get sucked into a cult I think a lot of people, especially nowadays, don't understand the extent of it because, like, we're not there, we didn't witness it, we didn't see it happen with our very own eyes, Mm -hmm. which would be a lot more traumatic Mm -hmm. and more impactful on our lives. Yeah. Jim Jones has definitely left a mark on Mm -hmm. society. For the worst. (laughs) Yeah, not a positive mark, that is for sure. Could have been avoided. (laughs) Oh, big time. Yeah, we are gonna gonna give us the what where why how who when yeah whatever it is that was interesting you want to give us the background (laughs) yeah yeah so as per usual i will start off with sort of the history of the case and again with what i'm about to talk about his experiences in life and his childhood do not dismiss Mm -hmm. the mistakes that he made and the stupid shit that he did just sort of makes sense. It just gives us some context. Caitlin loves her some context. I do. And with that being said, let's get into this. Let's dive in. Splash. Grab your coffees. Have this is going to be a latte. big one. So, yeah. Yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> I love that sound. So, James Warren Jones, more popularly known as Jim Jones, was born on May 13th, 1931 in Crete, Indiana. And... I'm just realizing this as we're talking now. Was Indiana, like, is there a big Greek community there? Because Crete was like a Greek polis. And I was saying to Jamie, Mm -hmm. Indianapolis is just Indiana City, using the Greek term for a city-state. If anybody knows anything about Indiana, you could let me know. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so Crete, Indiana, not ancient Greece. Mm-hmm. is where Jim Jones is born. He was born to his parents, James Thurman Jones, which is a very 1931 name, Thurman. Uma. Yep. And Lynetta Putnam. So James and Lynetta were, <laughs> they were quite the pair. James Sr. was a disabled war vet. So he was disabled in World War One from a chemical weapons attack. So he was just, in all likelihood, 
suffering some PTSD, mm-hmm. not in a great headspace. He drank a lot to sort of deal with everything. And it was said he was an abusive, sort of neglectful parental figure who wasn't really actively in Jim's life. Uh-huh. Lynetta fully admitted to having, and I quote, no natural maternal instincts and openly said that she never wanted children. She didn't have any desire to be a mother, didn't want to have to put her life on pause. Much like the Queen. (laughs) (laughs) Much like Queen Victoria. (laughs) She had one anyway. Don't know if that was on purpose. I'm going to take a wild guess and say no. Yeah, guys, if you don't feel maternal and don't want kids, don't have kids. That's the thing. Compared to 1931, there's significantly less pressure. This is a completely side tangent. And you have more options to not have kids. Yeah, there's no no pressure to have to bring a kid into the world. Whereas I feel like, especially in somewhere like Indiana, where there's like farm towns, you're almost expected that you're going to have a a family. Yeah, have a family, have a kid, at least one that's going to like help you work, bring income into the family. No, thank you. Yeah. No, thank you for Jamie. I'm, I have the most maternal instincts. Yeah. Jamie does not. Nah. But you know what? You don't have to be like Lynetta. You don't have to resent your child. I won't make a serial killer. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Um, Sorry. Thank God. Mass murderer? That, yeah. Cult leader? Sure. Whatever. None of the above would be preferable. Yeah. Uh, and hopefully I don't either. But <laughs> Lynetta was very resentful of Jim's existence. She was also very neglectful didn't want to waste her time taking care of him. So he spent a lot of time being raised by family members and neighbors and sort of grew up in the community. It was said that he was kind of a weird kid, didn't really have a lot of friends, and a lot of people in the community said that he had a a, a little bit more than an obsession with religion and death. Oh, it's all coming together. Yeah, it started quite early. Lynetta, his mom, had no religious affiliations. She was sort of like shunned by the community almost for not being religious and not having the same views. And like people weren't encouraged to spend time with the Jones family because they weren't godly people. Oh. But this local pastor's wife had met Jim either through the school or through the community, whatever the case may have been, mm-hmm. and gave him a Bible and sort of introduced him to religion. And he carried that Bible with him everywhere. Mm. It's said that like when he was a teenager, he would preach around town, like doing readings from the Bible, unprompted. I <laughs> Yeah, all the power to you. But also, no. Knocking on people's doors. <laughs> Do you Um, believe in God? It was also said that he would wear his church clothes to school every day. So for those of you that didn't grow up in the church, uh, congrats. But the formal wear for a Sunday church service is significantly different than what you would wear to public school. What is it? It's like Like a suit and tie? Like, yeah. If not like a full suit and tie, like nice slacks. A dress, oh, like a button-up okay. shirt and tie. So not things that kids are normally wearing to public school on a daily basis. Yeah. Just because when you're going to church, it's considered, like, 
a place of worship and respect, mm-hmm. like they want you to dress up. But people kind of took notice of that. One biographer actually mentioned that Jim would often organize sports teams through like his few friends that he did have at school and like within the neighborhood kids. But the thing was, Jim never played any of the sports that he would organize. He just said that he was good at leading and liked being in charge. Mm. So it's a bit of another foreshadowing to what we would see mm-hmm. with Jim as an adult. But all of these like weird red flags as a kid. Yeah, pay attention to them. <laughs> Please, for the love of God, pay attention to children. <laughs> like, oh, anyway. So if we flash forward a little bit to 1946, so he's about 15 years old. Following his parents' divorce, he and his mother moved to Richmond, Indiana. And at the age of 17, he started working at Reed Hospital in Richmond, just as like an orderly where he would be like cleaning bedpans and like mm. doing all the dirty work. Just like a mm. shitty job for when you're a teenager, trying to get some experience, which doesn't sound great, but this would be where he would meet and begin dating a nurse in training named Marceline Baldwin, and he and Marceline hit it off right away. And oh, Marceline. <laughs> they would end up getting married in 1949. Congrats, I guess. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> so as I jump into Jim and Marceline's life together that they would start to develop, I want to point out that there are a lot of small details that are sort of in between everything that we're going to go through. If I were to mention all of the different paths and all of the different people involved, this could probably be a 12-part series, like, easily. I don't want to do that, though. There's so many avenues of different religions that Jim was affiliated with and different... Choose your own adventure. Honest to God, yeah, it is a (laughs) choose your own adventure. All ends in shit. So I'm going to try and keep this as simple as possible, but you guys know I love to go off. So we'll see. So basically, Jim attended college and ended up receiving a degree in secondary education eventually. But he realized that his passion for religion was really where he wanted to to end up in life. He didn't want to do teaching unless it was religious teachings. So he focused on becoming a pastor. But he didn't want to become a pastor in a normal sense. He didn't really enjoy the typical teachings of the Catholic Church, of the Christian faith. He thought it was all a bit stuffy, which is Mm. fair. I can't disagree with him. No comment. (laughs) (laughs) But he, he really felt like he wanted to make a change in the way that religion was approached and accepted. And his first change was with Marceline. So when Marceline and Jim got married, Marceline was a practicing Methodist. Her entire family went to a Methodist church. It was like a big deal for them. And she married Jim under the impression that he was equally as religious in the Methodist church. Mm -hmm. Because obviously in the 1950s... (laughs) It's the 1950s. Yeah, that was important. Religion was a really big deciding factor in who you were going to marry. And if you didn't agree on that that level, Mm -hmm. you... It probably wasn't going to work very well. That's why my parents eloped, even in, like, the 90s, because I think it was, like, my dad's family's Protestant, my mom's family was Catholic, Mm. and my 
one of my grandmas was like, Mm-mm, you have to get married in this church. And my other family was like, no, this church. Mm-hmm. So my mom and dad said, we're going to elope. Yeah. <laughs> we're not dealing with this. Yeah. It was the same with my parents. Like it's, it, I feel like it's getting better, but it was really bad back then. Yeah. It was a really significant strict. problem. Yeah. So when Jim approached Marceline with this idea that they were going to tour different churches and check out different religions, Marceline was really hesitant. And, you know, I can't, I can't blame her for that. I think she went in with an expectation of who she was marrying. And as we will all soon find out, uh, it was a very different man at the end of things. Mm-hmm. But she also, like, she's a single woman in the 1950s. If she were to be divorced, especially within the Christian community, not good. it would not have looked good for her. Mm-hmm. Her life would have been very different. So she really felt compelled to go along with whatever Jim was saying. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. Like, it's really sad, and it's going to continue to sort of be Jim stepping on Marceline's toes for the majority majority of their relationship, uh, unfortunately. Jim would end up taking her to a bunch of different churches, predominantly black churches, actually, which was Mm. really revolutionary at the time because there was no yeah there was no integration there there was a significant separation between white families going to church and black Mm -hmm. families going to church and jim really connected with the african-american churches because they had fun that's the only thing i'll give him credit for yeah is that he wasn't racist and awful like 90 percent of people (laughs) in the 50s yeah well, like, he saw them doing their sermons and singing and dancing. And to be fair, those churches are fun. They have so much fun. A lot more fun than I've had in church. <laughs> oh, my God. But you know what? Jim Jones said the same thing. He said that mm-hmm. the white churches were stuffy and boring. <laughs> uh, Maybe we've gone to the wrong churches, Kate. I don't know. I agree. <laughs> but, yeah, so once Marceline sort of got a taste of the different sects sects i can't say s-e-c-t-s sex sex the different parts of religion not not sex no sects those ones yep the different aspects of religion she was feeling a little bit more open to changing up her own views and good for her for being more open-minded i think it's it says a lot about who she is as a person, that she was able to compromise on something that was so fundamental in a relationship. Mm -hmm. So after he got Marceline on board with changing religion, in 1952, at the age of 21, Jim started working as a student pastor. And he had a goal in this pastor position of integrating black and white kids into the same programs at the church that he was working at and having them play on the same playground which was a really big deal at the time, especially Mm -hmm. in a small place like Richmond. It was unheard of. Mm -hmm. And the church did not like this. They um, Big surprise. Yeah, they wanted to keep things the way that they were, and they didn't see anything wrong with the teachings that they were teaching. Mm -hmm. So Jim decided he was going to start his own church. He was like, I've had enough of this. I want to be able to preach what I want to preach and do things my way. I don't want people to tell me what I can and can't do. So I'm just going to do it on my own. I get the thinking, but it's not good where it's going. (laughs) Yeah. So Jim's church started off with 
At its base, the facets of the church were a blend of Christianity, New Age spirituality, and social justice that was relatively unknown in the 1950s. Yeah. Like I said, he was really, really focused on integration. And I said this to Jamie earlier, but I think one thing that kind of scares me about this story mm-hmm. is that when I think about cults and people involved in that sort of thing, I think it's really easy from an outside perspective to be like, oh, why would you get involved in that? I don't understand how people get caught up in that and they so blindly follow. Yeah. But I think looking at the beginnings of Jonestown and what was about to occur, it's stuff that I fervently believe in. Yeah. Like I... Most cults don't set out to be cults. No. They just want to make change and then it it ends up spiraling for some reason Mm -hmm. into something that isn't as positive as it was supposed to be. Yeah. But like if I... Honestly, if I had been in this situation, Mm -hmm. seeing this man talking about wanting to believe in a Mm -hmm. higher power, not necessarily one single God, but just some higher involvement and wanting to see people as people, not worrying about anything else, like... That's something that too. Yeah, that's something that would have spoken to us. And I think that's what it did for a lot of people. Yeah. And then unfortunately, like Jamie said, it sort of spiraled into not that. (laughs) But yeah. It started off on a good foundation. It's almost like the comparison I feel like I have in my brain is like politicians when Mm -hmm. they're running for office. Mm -hmm. They're like these are all the things I want to do mm-hmm. when I'm in charge. And we're like, yes. Mm-hmm. So then we put them in charge and they're like, mm, nah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to not do that. Mm-hmm. Let's do something completely opposite. But you gave me all your money and support, so it doesn't matter. Exactly. <laughs> you know? So this church was started in Indianapolis, Indiana, which again, Greece. yeah, someone knows why so many Greek names in Indiana. If you could let me know, that would be sweet. Started in Indianapolis. And it quickly grew to a pretty big following for a city that really wasn't significantly large at the time. I mean, it wasn't a small town by any means. but this is an ADHD. And the following really took off because they were so focused on the integration in the community. Mm. Jim and Marceline were really focused on connecting to the community and really making sure that community businesses were getting support from the church and different events were taking place hosted by the church and like all of these things were bringing the community together so it was like a really big deal if only they could have kept using that power for good yeah but it eventually got to the point where it they the congregation was so big that they needed a new building they couldn't practice in a tiny little place anymore Mm -hmm. the issue was though that jim knew that he couldn't ask church members for donations so typically at you can't well if you'd let me finish my sentence typically (laughs) christian or catholic church they'll pass around Mm -hmm. a thing for donations to the church yeah but jim knew that where he had started his church in indianapolis was in a low-income area He knew a lot of these families couldn't afford basic needs, let alone extra money for the church. That's kind of nice. Well, so in order to get money, Mm -hmm. Jim knew that his next best option would to become the best preacher possible. 
the best pastor, super cool guy. So this is where things started to go downhill. (laughs) So Jim realized that the best way to get money was to become a performer. And what he was... become a stripper then, man. That doesn't really align with the (laughs) Christian religion. Mm. Um, Okay. But what he was going to do was perform healing miracles, you know? Like that one episode of Supernatural? Exactly. Cool, 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 cool. Yeah, except without a reaper involved. Yeah. Well. (laughs) Well. (laughs) (laughs) So basically what Jim started doing was, quote-unquote, healing coughs and headaches by giving these sermons where he would call upon the Lord to heal these people in his church. That was a thing. I didn't know any of this. Oh, yeah, I know. That's why I did this research. Thank you. (laughs) So, yeah, it started with little things like coughs and headaches where he would call on random people and be like, you've been coughing a lot. You're going to get better. And then they would because Mm -hmm. colds go away. But, no, it was all his power, whatever. Yep. And then it... It started gaining popularity. People started taking notice that this magical man was healing them. And he started getting invited to preach at other churches. And do his healing at other congregations. So he knew he had to step up his game. But in order to get people to believe him, Mm -hmm. he needed to be curing more than coughs and headaches. Yeah. So he started getting audience plants to go to these other churches where he was doing these performances and telling people... He was faking it? No way. Telling people that he had cured them from heart defects that had been lifelong conditions, curing cancer. Eventually, it would get to a point where he would have these like fake nurses come along with him and he would point at random people in the crowd like genuinely random people and tell them yeah. that i'm sad that people got tricked i'm oh. like believed it i was like that's really that's really bad that's i was like really pointing bad. at people is not sad no <laughs> i just feel bad for the people who were tricked into it well what he would tell these people is that they had a cancer that they didn't know of and he was going to get rid of it for them so he would have these nurses take um. out two handkerchiefs One handkerchief obviously being empty, and another handkerchief having a chicken liver in it. So he would do this, like, call upon the Lord by the power invested in me, like, whatever. So he was a magician. Yeah, exactly. And tell them that they needed to cough out the cancer. Ew. And as they were coughing... Also not how that works. (laughs) No. (laughs) But as they were coughing, the nurse would switch the handkerchiefs. And pull out, open up the handkerchief and be like, this is the cancer that you coughed out. He just cured you from this thing that you didn't even know that you had. And people were amazed by this. He was good at what he did. Yeah. And because he was doing all of this stuff at churches that weren't his own, he didn't feel guilty asking for donations. And he eventually collected enough money to purchase a new church that could hold about 700 people. But at what cost? Jim. Donations. <laughs> and the truth. <laughs> that too. So this church... Helps you drowned in your pool of lies. <laughs> this church 
was initially called Community Unity. We're going to move swiftly past that. I mean... <laughs> but the building was actually a former Jewish congregation. So it already had the word temple carved on the stone on the outside. And instead of like taking down the stone and putting up a new sign for community unity, Jim decided that he was going to name his new church the People's Temple. And that is how his true following really started, was through the development of the People's Temple. Mm. And then shit really started to hit the fan at that point. Can I also add unrelated, mm. but also involving cults? Mm. Does anybody know that Jared Leto has a cult? <laughs> I only found out about that like two weeks ago. He has a literal cult. What's it called? Hold on. I don't know. Jared Leto cult. It's the first Google research prompt, whatever. It's called Camp Mars. Um... Like his band, 30 Seconds to Mars? Yeah. And they have a cult where every summer they go out to like an all-inclusive island that is reserved only for them. And it's like thousands of dollars to get there. You're not allowed to bring your own food or clothes or, and stuff. I don't know what it's about, but Jared Leto gives like sermons and stuff. <laughs> you know what? I'm not even yeah, shocked by that. I want to hear a lecture about life from Suicide Squad's Joker. <laughs> And continue, Kate. <laughs> Jim Jones. <laughs> so, so 1965's Jared Leto, Jim Jones, <laughs> uh, <laughs> started switching things up around this time. He felt a lot of power coming from this development of the People's Temple. People were asking for him to perform these miracles. People were looking up to him. It was a really big deal in the community. So in 1965... Jim, Marceline, and their now four children, three of whom were adopted, one of which was a biological child, they decided they were going to move the church from Indianapolis out to Ukiah, California. And about 60 church members followed them out there. They came with them. They decided, like, right. we care enough about this people's temple. We will help you get it started. Commit. Unfortunately, yes. Yeah. But in this time, things weren't really going that great. They were excited that 60 people came, but from a con congregation that was able to hold up to 700 people in, in the building, yeah, it wasn't that much. They were having a really hard time getting things off the ground when they got to Ukiah. Mm -hmm. And on top of all of that, Marceline was starting to have some health issues that left her mostly bedridden. Oh, She was not having a good time. It was something to do with her back. So she couldn't do a lot of heavy lifting. She couldn't make a lot of physical movements. So she really was bedridden. Rough. And when she wasn't... Well, I mean, Jim, step up, fix your wife. That's a point I was going to make. If he can make these miracles, but he fix can't fix your wife. Him. But don't worry, he had another solution. Oh, okay. So on top of that, mm -hmm. she, yes, she's bedridden for most of the day, but... Her focus is on their family. Mm -hmm. It tends to be on the kids. And you can't fault her for that. She's a mom. Yeah. She's going to focus on the well-being of her family. Whereas Jim was really focused on the church. Right. He sort of looked at the family as Marceline's responsibility. And, 1950. Yeah. <laughs> and this obviously led to some issues in their marriage. Mm -hmm. So Jim brought up the fact that 
not only was he feeling emotionally neglected by Marceline for her not being as active and involved in the church anymore, he was also feeling sexually unfulfilled because she was in too much pain to have sex with him. Oh, poor you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Marceline, on the other hand, was like, hey, I'm bedridden and in constant pain, and you're never home. She's taking care of four kids. While bedridden. Yeah. So instead of doing the normal healthy options, like couples counseling, communication, divorce, you know, normal things, Mm -hmm. Jim told Marceline that he was going to start sleeping with a 19-year-old that was in the church. Okay. And it wasn't. It wasn't because he didn't love Marceline. He still loved her and wanted to be married to her. But she just couldn't fulfill his sexual desires. Okay, and, narcissist. And he didn't care about this 19-year-old. He didn't love her. He just wanted to have sex. So it should be okay. <laughs> and poor Marceline. What's she going to do? Say no? Yes. She'll have no money. Four kids to take care of on her own. Nothing. She's in the middle of nowhere without her family. I hear where you're coming from, but I don't like it. Well, neither did Marceline, but she (laughs) had no other option. So Jim's thinking, okay, I've got Marceline on board. Great. What about the church? Because he's been preaching these ideals of no infidelity. You want to be honest. You want to be open. So he was like, okay, instead of, you know, not violating this young girl who is looking up to my position of power, I'll just tell the whole church that I'm sleeping with her. Because that's better, yeah. And this would really be one of the first huge digressions from his teachings. But the church would forgive him. Every single person there was like, oh, well... Marceline's not having sex with you, so he might as well. Was he doing cocaine or something? I don't mm-hmm. understand. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. Okay. So, by March of 1970, from Jim's perspective, things are looking up. The church is gaining popularity. He's getting laid on a regular basis, so he's in a better mood. And the church is starting to bring in some cash. Um, he ended up selling, like meet and greets with himself and photo ops. Um, He was offering healing sessions and like touring these different churches in California. And they even opened up a people's temple store. That was kind of like, (laughs) kind of like a Goodwill where people would donate their like slightly used items and people could like lower income people could buy it for a cheaper cost, which in theory, like I got nothing against Goodwill. I love going to But this is not the same. <laughs> yeah. Initially, this money was all going back to the church. It was to pay for free food for the community. Mm-hmm. They were buying clothing for church members. They even ended up paying for housing for a lot of families in the church that couldn't afford housing on their own, mm-hmm. which was great. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. But... Jim was really starting to encourage church members to donate their time and money back to the temple. And when they didn't, when they decided that they wanted to go out and see a movie, go out and... God forbid. Literally. (laughs) It was... It was leading to them being accused of disloyalty. He was getting very aggressive about them needing to spend all of their time devoted to the church. They shouldn't be reading things not involving the church. They shouldn't be talking about pop culture that's not involved with the church. And coincidentally, 
this was around the same time that Jim would start heavily abusing both his position of power and drugs. Cocaine. (laughs) Usually a lovely mixture of quaaludes, amphetamines, and tranquilizers. Like uh, like ketamine, like a horse tranquilizer, in both liquid and pill form. Jones? One of each alone is a lot. That's... But he thought he was unstoppable. He was working, quote-unquote, working so hard. He wanted to stay awake and keep working and keep doing things. And No. Yeah, this would ultimately lead to the demise of the temple. Yeah. Well, especially with all those drugs and a little bit of delusion. Boom, you got a god complex. <laughs> Precisely. Surprise! So, in regards to this god complex, if you think about Jim Jones, if you have an image of Jim Jones in your head... It's probably him with sunglasses on. These really dark, like, 60s sunglasses. That's my picture, yeah. And if you asked Jim why he was wearing the sunglasses, what he would tell you is that he had so much, and I quote, holy energy that glowed from his eyes (laughs) because his inner power was so immense. So he wore sunglasses all the time. To protect his followers from being burned by his holy energy. That's so nice. The reality. He was hungover. He was so hungover. And when people are high, their eyes get very red and watery. Mm -hmm. And he didn't want people to ask him about it. So he just wore sunglasses. Can you imagine telling people that there's holy energy? I think I'd prefer for him to just say he was high. Yeah. Because, you know, that's the honesty he was preaching about. Yeah, yeah. So the reason Jim Jones actually wore sunglasses was not because of an immense inner power. It was because he was hopped up on quaaludes. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, at this point, so this is the 70s, Jim's ego was so inflated. And like Jamie said, God complex had really set in. Mm -hmm. This amount of power and people looking up to him, even though he was lying about all that he was doing, Mm -hmm. really convinced Jim that he was the best thing on the face of the earth. This was at the point where his ego was telling him that all women were attracted to him. It wasn't just this 19-year-old in the church. It was now the duty Mm. of the female members of the church to please him sexually. Oh, vibes, no. And he would become really aggressive if they started to turn him down. But the sad part was, most of the women wouldn't turn him down because he's in a position of power. They don't want to risk upsetting him. They don't want to go against the teachings of the church. So most of the women in the congregation ended up fulfilling his sexual needs whenever he wanted. I am comfy. Yeah. What's wrong on every level? Why is that a thing with cults? Every cult is their sex involved. Well, especially with people in power, that that unfortunately happens like <clears throat> everywhere. Like oh my God. you hear it all about it in Hollywood directors doing it to oh. actors, and it's like you are abusing a position of power. Mm-hmm. I don't understand that. Like mm-hmm. even having this podcast, which isn't huge, mm-hmm. I'm like I feel like I need to act and be a good person mm-hmm. because I, I don't want to abuse this position. It's not yeah. a huge position of power, but I would never want to use it, like, to, weaponize yeah. it to be like, hey, I have a podcast. Come have sex with me. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, no. no. Well, don't do that, guys. Yeah. But, don't. But Teachers. Jim, 
professors, doctors. Guys, don't. Yeah. But Jim had no, no problem doing this. And he was honest about it. He actively discouraged people in the church from forming relationships with other members. If they joined the church as a married couple, they were allowed to stay married. But you couldn't be in a relationship with another church member unless that was Jim. Unless you were going to give something sexual to Jim Jones, you were not supposed to be doing anything because that was sinful. But what he was doing was totally fine because he had holy energy. <sighs> Whatever. I was going to say something, but that was not appropriate for the podcast. <laughs> it involved a lot of swear words. Continue. <laughs> so Jim's drug abuse continued. It got worse. And it ended up leading to severe paranoia on his part. Mm -hmm. So he told his church members, and he fervently believed that the CIA and the FBI would try to shut down all that they had worked for because they were inherently racist institutions, which is not incorrect, but that they didn't want them integrating together and they were like gunning to, to shut down the People's Temple and put everyone in jail for believing in something different. Mm-hmm. So Jim said that they needed to move to the promised land in order to stay safe. That's not suspicious at all. Little did Jim know, he actually was under investigation. (laughs) But because there were some serious allegations coming out of people that were leaving the People's Temple, that there was such a significant abuse of power, that there was sexual abuse happening, that there was financial fraud because money was no longer going to the church it was going to jim's drug abuse he was spending all of this money on sex drugs rock and roll which Shocker. is the basis of the 1970s but this was not in a cool fun way but in october of 1973 it was determined that the promised land had been found and this promised land was guyana south america so south america south america so they decided that they were going to pack up their ship And they were all going to move to what Jim decided was going to be called Jonestown. And this is where shit really hit the fan. So Caitlin brought us to the 70s. Thank you. You're welcome. Brought us into the 70s. Aside from all of the shit in the 70s. My favorite fashion era. Yeah. Great makeup and Mm -hmm. stuff. Cool jewelry. Super cool jewelry. So during the 70s, his church... (laughs) along with him being a drug addict, his church was also accused of financial fraud, mistreatment of the children in the church, as well as physical abuse of its members. And like Caitlin said, they moved to Guyana. Mm-hmm. They moved to Guyana. <laughs> People were starting to realize, hey, Jim is a little unhinged. <laughs> Jonestown is not this utopia that it was supposed to be. And in this new Jonestown in Guyana, people were working long days in fields and were getting subjected to harsh punishments. Well, because what you guys have to realize is that he didn't buy like a fully developed little town. He bought a plot Plot of empty land. land. It was like, we're going to build it. By we, I mean you. Exactly. (laughs) And yeah, they were punished if they questioned Jones, unfortunately. A white man in power abusing people? No way. What? And like something kind of major was that he took away their passports. Mm -hmm. Which is kind of a big deal, especially back then. 
He wanted complete control. He wanted to make sure that everyone that came with him, which was a significant number of people, Mm -hmm. that he had full control over them. Yeah, not okay. Yeah, and he also encouraged people to, like, rat out on each other. So if I was like, hey, I'm having doubts, Caitlin, like, I don't think I should be in this anymore, you could go tell Jim Mm -hmm. and get me in trouble for your benefit. Mm -hmm. And it's like, "Mm, that's kind of toxic. Snitches get stitches. But they didn't. Yeah. (laughs) Not in this case. The other person got the stitches. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they had long, boring late night meetings. He also required the members to participate in mock suicide drills super late at night. (laughs) Again, red flags. So the mock suicide drills were basically like, would you die for me? Yeah. Like the ultimate, like you need to, I need to know that you would do literally anything that I ask. Yeah. Including die. Mm Mm-hmm. And weren't they also Kool-Aid? In the mock trials, he would hand out Kool-Aid drinks. Not Gatorade. Not Gatorade. Which is what I thought by accident. Jamie really, really confidently was talking about Gatorade one day. Yeah, my mom was like, well, what's it about? And I was like, you know, he ma- it was the guy with the Gatorade. And she was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, Caitlin. And you were like, no. I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Not right at all. Kool-Aid sponsor us. Oh, God. Um, so sorry, Kool-Aid. Yeah, sorry about that. But yeah, so he was testing their loyalty, seeing if they would do it. And he was also censoring letters home, which a little sketchy, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. I think we've moved past sketchy. Yeah, at this point. it's already turned the corner of cult. And so this has been going on, I think, three years, maybe more. Mm-hmm. And in 1978, A group of former temple members and concerned relatives, fair enough, convinced U.S. Congressman Leo Ryan, a Democrat of California, to travel to Jonestown and investigate the settlement, which, good on them, because they were like, we have to do something about it. Didn't turn out, but the thought was there. Mm -hmm. Uh, So on November 17th, 1978, Ryan arrived in Jonestown with a group of journalists and other observers, which I get it, but I feel like he should have just brought the police or, like, local authorities. Would have been more ideal for him. Like, maybe one or two journalists and maybe a cop or two, Mm -hmm. you know? And apparently the visit was okay. But the next day when Ryan and his posse were going to leave, multiple people of Jonestown asked to leave with them because, you know, it wasn't it wasn't being a great place anymore for them. And they were like, hey, like we want out. Can we come with you? And obviously Jim did not like this. And he was like, my people are defecting. And this is when things go bad. Worse. Yeah. <laughs> so one of Jones's people unfortunately attacked Leo Ryan with a knife. Apparently, he escaped from that unharmed, but later Jones ordered Ryan and his people to be ambushed and killed as they were trying to leave. So, murder. You know, normal response. Yeah. For someone who's doing nothing wrong. So, I think five people in total were murdered trying to get on their plane. And then on November 18th, I think Jim kind of realized it's now or never... 
it's going to fall apart or he's going to go out in a blaze of <laughs> glory. Yeah. Um, if that's what you want to call it. Yeah. So Jim leads hundreds of followers in a mass murder slash suicide. He, you know, as we've mentioned before, hands out Kool-Aid, which is a drink. And I think everyone says it was blue. I don't know if that's historically accurate. I think it was blue or purple. I can never remember. Yeah. And the drinks had cyanide and sedatives in it. Mm -hmm. And he asked people to drink it. And I believe a lot of them thought it was just another one of the drills. So they were like, okay, we'll be fine. And then they drank it. And then others were willing to die and they drank it. Meanwhile, the children, they kind of had to like force it into some of the children using syringes and stuff. And others who refused, armed guards surrounded them and kind of held them at gunpoint and were like, drink it. Mm -hmm. So it kind of... It didn't go well. A third of the people who perished were children, which is really devastating because they didn't, they didn't need to be there. No. They didn't want to be there. They didn't choose to be there. No, they didn't know any different. No, but those innocent lives were lost. And then the people who didn't drink and tried to escape were shot, trying to leave the compound, hunted down and murdered. And then the total death toll was 909. Very heavy. That's a lot. It's, yeah, it's a significant amount. Like, that's a whole town of people. And Jim also bit the bullet, I think, quite literally, wasn't it? Because I don't think he drank his concoction. No, he... So basically what happened is he washed them all. Mm Mm-hmm drink it thinking it was going to be a peaceful experience nope and obviously when you drink poison you're basically being boiled alive from the inside screaming so yeah throwing up unfortunately there's a tape of yeah i've seen it um, yeah it's horrendous i would not recommend it in a million years like foaming at the mouth yeah so jim was too much of a coward to subject himself to the thing that he had no problem subjecting these people who trusted him endlessly to. And he shot himself. Coward. Mm -hmm. I believe he also shot Marceline. Of course. However, his multiple of his sons survived because they weren't in the compound at the time. They were in a different spot. And they have to live with the fact that their father committed mass murder for the rest of their lives. It's, I think only a few residents managed to actually escape. Yeah, there were a select few that managed to steal their passports back and Which is very brave. Yeah. I don't know how they did that. No, I think people say when it comes to like, when it comes to like abusive relationships and stuff, they say that the most dangerous time is leaving. Mm -hmm. And it's the same in a situation like this. You're really at the most risk trying to get yourself to safety. Yeah. And clearly, they felt that something significant was about to happen. They were right. I can't imagine living through that and seeing what would have happened to people who had basically become your family and friends at that point. Yeah. And we won't go into any more nasty details because it's haunting. Yeah, that's not the point. The point of this is that these people were taken advantage of. They were abused Mm -hmm. all because one man wanted a significant amount of power and he would do whatever he could to keep that 
and he thought that he was responsible for all of their lives. Mm -hmm. And in the end, it wasn't the lives he was responsible for, it was their deaths. Yeah. And if you're ever a part of something, a religion, a group, an organization that a seems too good to be true, <laughs> it's too good to be true. Yeah. And you're probably being taken advantage of. You should watch for the warning signs. Don't be brainwashed. Because that's what happens in so many cults, is you're just so devoted mm -hmm. to the leader. Even in the end, you think it's mm -hmm. the right thing. And there's... It's not. There's nothing wrong with being passionate about something or... Just don't let it take over. Yeah, don't let it be the thing that takes over your life. I think the best, in all the research that I've done on cults and conspiracies and stuff over the years, I think as simple as it is, like the biggest warning sign and the biggest thing to take note of is just trust your gut. Mm -hmm. Like your, your gut will always tell you when something is off and if yeah. you start to feel that that's for a reason and it's okay to be passionate mm -hmm. but not obsessive no like i get it when people are teenagers and they're like a lot of hormones are going on <laughs> and stuff and they become obsessed with like their favorite book their favorite band their favorite movie <laughs> no those people are the weirdest I i've done that though i'm like i get it but <laughs> i just to clarify, I said that because I have a One Direction tattoo. Mm -hmm. I'm not ashamed of it, mm -hmm. but I was that person. <laughs> yeah. Just don't let stuff, like, consume you, especially yeah. as you're an adult and you don't have to become obsessed over these types, like, over yeah. anything. You can make your own decisions in life. Mm -hmm. And you know the difference between right and wrong. And controlling figures are not great to have. In any relationship with no if you're not really given a choice also don't be afraid to leave yeah it's scary and it's hard mm -hmm. but it will be worth it in the long run and mm -hmm. that's in organizations religions relationships mm -hmm. if it's toxic and you don't like it anymore mm -hmm. leave you do not have to stay for any reason whether it be marriage, any form of commitment. A financial dependency. Yeah, if it's no longer healthy for you, you should feel absolutely no guilt in saying, I'm going to tap out, just do it safely. Mm -hmm. There's always resources there to help you. Mm -hmm. There's always going to be people who have your back. Yeah, it's, um, it's amazing that it got to a point where so many of these people were just so blindly taken advantage of. Yeah. It's, it's not their fault by any means for ending up in the position that they were in no they they trusted this man who gave them no reason not to trust him mm -hmm. he created this narrative that he wanted to change the world and instead he destroyed their world in order to be selfish and also unfortunately all the people who were the concerned relatives yeah they have to live with that knowing that when they tried to make a difference Everybody died. Yeah. So he ruined many lives that day. Yeah. Not just his own. No. And I hate him. Yeah. Well, I think, like we said before, it's become sort of this, like, oh, don't drink the Kool-Aid. Yeah. Don't, like, don't end up in that situation. And it's become this, like, passing comment that people just make. And, like... But it's actually really dark. But it's genuinely a big 
situation. Like, like wasn't it the worst mass suicide in the entire history? I think, if not the worst, One it's of up there. Top five. Yeah. So it's not just this thing to talk about in films or this thing that was so long ago. Realistically, it wasn't. Like, my parents were alive when that happened. So were mine. <laughs> like, it's not ancient history by any means. And people are still... It less than 50 years ago, right? Yeah. Let that sink in. <laughs> Don't like that. No. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's good that people are more aware of their surroundings today. Mm-hmm. But there are always going to be people who are abusing their own power. And we need to be cognizant of that. Yeah. And we need to take care of each other. My final note is don't trust overly charismatic people. Mm. Don't Mm. trust people who think they can magically heal you. Yeah, if a guy tells you he's curing you of cancer that you don't have. (laughs) He's probably scamming you. It's a chicken liver. (laughs) Don't believe it. Well, that was Jim Jones. Thank you for listening. We will be back in less than a week. Week? With our one-year special. I don't know why I went French. She's been speaking French all day. And I don't even speak French. I Bonjour. do. That's... <laughs> Au revoir. <laughs> yep, nailed it. Okay, we're going to go now. <laughs> all right. Thank you again. Yeah, feel free to check us out on our social medias. You can follow us on Instagram <laughs> at Creeps and Coffee. You can follow us on Twitter at Creeps and Coffee. You can check out our YouTube page where we are slowly updating our back catalog. We got a new follower today. Oh, subscriber. I didn't know that. Yeah, we're cool. 10 now. <laughs> that, mean lady in our, that mean lady in our comments can suck it. We have 10, not 10. Um, and if you want to help support the show, you can check out our Buy Me A Coffee page, buymeacoffee.com slash creepsandcoffee to fuel our caffeine-induced recording sessions. Or sponsor us. That too. Gatorade. <laughs> Want to sponsor us? Gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. We love you. Love you. Bye. Bye. Dated. For more information on where to find them, check out the link in our show notes.